0: We're going to start this morning with a little lesson in biblical interpretation. Uh, There are a lot of ways that we can approach Scripture uh, and misinterpret things, right? Uh, And one of the great principles of how to read the Bible, and you may have heard this before, is that we let Scripture interpret Scripture. Have you heard that? Does that make sense? What I take that to mean, and, and what I've found to be helpful is that when there's a a particular verse or a little passage that is is troubling or seems maybe out of sync with other parts of Scripture, what we don't do is just take that by itself and say, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, and this is what, you know. I mean, there are some, you you can get into a lot of trouble, especially with some passages in, uh, you know, say the Psalms or... Uh, lamentations. If that's if you're building your entire theology, entire faith around some of those passages, so what we do is we say, okay, what does the rest of Scripture say about this, or or what do, even just the parts right before and and right after this? How do we, how do we let those how do we let those parts of Scripture interpret this Scripture that is challenging? So this has been. Um, actually, a national conversation in the last little bit, right? Uh, a lot of people in our country are reading Romans thirteen, which is great. Uh, <laughs> the reason why they 're reading it maybe is not so great, but uh, that they 're reading it is good and I think that our, our nation as a whole has experienced a little bit of this oh you don't just, you don 't just rip a passage about how the, God put the government in charge, therefore, what the government says goes. No, you have to look before you have to look at the end of Romans twelve and and the rest of Romans thirteen to really understand the framing of that, right? Uh, That the same God who said, uh, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality, right? That's, That's the middle of Romans 12, right before we talk about being subject to governing authorities. And then later on in Romans 13, love does no harm to a neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law, right? Those help frame a passage about being subject to the governing authorities. That's not our passage this morning, but it illustrates something that is going to be really important for us as we study a passage from Ephesians 5. Every week as we're going through Ephesians, I have found it helpful, and I hope you do too, to remember where we are in this book. Speaking of, of context, right? Speaking of not just pulling out a little verse or a little section, but understanding that when Paul was writing this letter, he was writing, he's re- writing the whole letter to this church and that they most likely heard it read top to bottom, start to end, uh, that that's how they encountered this letter from Paul. Now, we take our time and we study little passages, but we got to remember where we are. So Paul has reminded us in these first three chapters of the glory of the good news, of how God desired and planned to save us simply because he loves us and he wanted to do it, not because of anything that we've done not because we are so great or we discovered God. No, he simply, as his creations, sought us out, offered up everything, offered up his own son, that we could be reunited with him and united with each other. So this is the, this is the primary emphasis, that we who, who, again, through nothing in our own, through, through faith by grace, by God's grace, are in Christ, that that is the fundamental identity that we have, that we are in Christ. Now, we're in the second half of Ephesians, where we're exploring, well, what does that look like? How do we walk that out? How do we live that? So last week, we talked about, as those who are in Christ, uh, we are to be unified together in the church, right? Right? This is a, a motley crew of people here. We have different political perspectives. We have different cultural upbringings. Not all of us are Dutch. And, uh, and yet, God in his mercy unifies us together and in, his, in the power of his spirit. Right? That's one of the ways that we live out this new life in Christ. I'm not Dutch, by the way. Um, uh, we, last week, we talked about our, our speech, right? our relationships with each other, the way we speak to each other encouraging each other, lifting each other up, that that's something that would be different for those who are in Christ. The way that we speak would would reflect the fact that uh, we have a new life that's being born in us by the presence of God's Spirit. So uh, what about other areas of life? For example, marriage. What would that look like? Well, Paul gets into that here. And this is a great question because Jesus never married. So we don't look at the Gospels and find these examples of Jesus and his spouse working out, you know, well, what should we have for dinner or the, I don't know, pick your, uh, <laughs> pick your marital uh, dispute. Um, we, don't have, we don't have practical examples of that. And, and so this becomes uh, helpful for us in a variety of areas of life where we have to use what we have been given in Scripture, um, the the stories of Jesus, and and the Spirit's imagination to figure out how do we live this life in our context, right? As an engineer, as a mother, as a husband, as a nurse. How do we live as people who are new in Christ in all of these contexts? And so the one that we're going to look at today is in marriage. Now, if you are not married, I believe that this passage is still very, very significant for all of us, for two reasons. One is that the principle that Paul talks about uh, between, that should kind of uh, describe how a husband and a wife relate to each other, it has broad implications for actually all of our relationships. It's not unique necessarily to the husband-wife relationship. The other reason why I think it's important for all of us, whether we're married or not, is that... (coughs) It's an insight into Christ's love for the church. That marriage is meant to be, um, in some ways, a metaphor that we can see and experience to understand more fully. Christ's covenant committed love for his church. Now, obviously, if you are married, there are some other very concrete practical uh, takeaways from this as well. So let's read Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 21, and read this passage together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. In this way, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Lord, be our teacher this morning as we look to your word. We want to hear from you, and we want to be changed by the power of your spirit. Help us, Lord. Amen. We read this passage in our community group this week, and uh, one of the things that Drew had us do that was very interesting was he brought a lot of different translations, a lot of different English translations, and had us look at where the different translations had put a paragraph break. In the original Greek text, we are not blessed with a lot of punctuation (laughs) or paragraph breaks. Uh, Parchment was very valuable, and so they filled it all with the letters. (laughs) And, uh, And so where your translation breaks this passage in Ephesians 5 has impact on how you read it, right? Uh, If you start with verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. That sets the stage for a particular way to read this passage. If you start with verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, that sets a bit of a different context for this whole passage. And if you go back even further to verse 18, which actually really is the beginning of what's kind of a long run-on sentence, which Paul does all the time. He, He loves his commas, and he doesn't love periods. He just keeps going. So verse 18, you actually get even a broader, grander context for the particular example of marriage. And the context is this. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And then Paul goes on to describe what this being filled with the Spirit looks like, uh, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, making music in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father for everything, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's all one long sentence in the Greek. All commands to everyone, right? These are not directed to a particular group of people. This is broad, you know. This is this is broadly applicable to all of us. To as we live this new life in the Spirit, it's going to reflect these things. And he gets to that last one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he's like, well, what, what does that look like in marriage? And then in parenting, and then in work. So we're going to look at the marriage one. But I think that, that this whole next section of the end of five and beginning of six can kind of all be this subcategory underneath. Submit yourselves to each other. This is the grand, um, the grand vision of this passage. I, uh, I remember studying this passage in high school in our youth group. And uh, I was given one of the most helpful tools to approach this passage there that I want to offer to you. And the tool is this. If you're a man the part about wives is not written to you. If you're a woman, the part about husbands is not written to you. Now, that doesn't mean we can't read them and and learn something from them, but I think that is such a helpful starting place and helps correct a lot of the ways that this passage has tragically been misused and abused, right? It's it's kind of, the principle there is, Take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else's eye. That's the interpretive principle, <laughs> right? Take the part that's addressed to you first and foremost. That's the word to you this morning. Um, my parents, uh, they didn't do a lot of, of uh, couples counseling, but they did a little bit. And, and they I remember them telling me about a couple that they counseled that eventually they they had to Part ways because the husband kept coming in their sessions to the wife with this passage saying, Why won't you submit to me more? The Bible says you need to submit to me. And this is completely missing the point of what is written to him as the husband that his call was to love his wife as Christ loved the church, because that's not a high calling at all, right? (laughs) So that, I think, can be a very helpful framework for us as we we look at this passage, to take first and foremost the part that is written to you. We come across this word, submit, and I think we start to stumble a little bit. That's a tough word. Uh, I think that we hear that word and one of the only ways that we can hear it or, or conceive of it is um, in a power play where someone is lording over someone else the power and authority that they have and forcing them to submit, right? That it's, it's, it's someone else making someone else submit. That, that, I think, is often how we hear that word. That word has some baggage. Uh, and so one of the things that I found helpful was this alternate uh, translation from uh, one of the lexicons, the Greek-English lexicons that I used, that described this word this way. It's submission in the sense of a voluntary yielding in love. A voluntary yielding in love. It has nothing to do with someone who has authority and power wielding it over someone else. It has someone freely choosing to yield, motivated by love. And again, the grand context is that that would be what all of us are doing with each other here in the church. That as the the new life that Christ is building and growing in each one of us, as that gets lived out, that one of the things that is going to define the way that we interact is that we're going to more and more willfully, voluntarily choose to yield to each other, to set aside our own preferences. And the model for this is, of course, Christ. This is why each one of us does this with each other, and of course with wives and husbands do this as well in marriage, that Christ yielded voluntarily out of love for our sake. Gave up his life. And as his life gets built in us, right, as we are more and more in Christ, well, that's just naturally going to come out. That's just going to be naturally how we relate to each other more and more in this community. And naturally, that's just going to start to be how we relate to our spouses. Voluntarily yielding in love. Christ has done this for us. And so... We start to do this more and more as his life gets built in us. This passage is actually, uh, in its context, again, in its historical context, it's profoundly elevating for women, actually. Paul spends twice as long talking about the role and the responsibility of husbands and the incredible call to love their wives as Christ loved the church, giving up their lives so that their wives might flourish. That was radical 2,000 years ago. And it's radical now. (laughs) Right? What a call. What a high calling. I think another helpful thing to think about is that this is not a broad command for women to submit to men, blanket statement, in every circumstance. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's painting for us a picture of a marriage that is rooted in Christ. A marriage where both husband and wife are saying the first and most important relationship I have is that to my Lord. That as I submit to him, as I yield voluntarily out of love to Christ, well, I'm just going to naturally turn and do that to you too. So that's the context. That our vision or our, our priority would be the flourishing of the other. And as we, as we do this, right, as we yield to the other for the sake of their flourishing, we will find, because of the upside-down nature of God's kingdom, we will find that we ourselves will begin to flourish, right? That our, our marriages will be healthier, will be more vibrant, more full of life. Not because we're pursuing the things that we want uh, and, and, and forcing those around us to get on board with, with our vision for the good life, but because we'll be yielding to those around us, especially to our spouses. Summer and I have had the joy of doing some premarital counseling, some of it even with you here. And uh, the way that we do that primarily is through this packet that we totally stole from the premarital counseling class that we took uh, with permission of the pastor Uh, that basically works through all these different areas of life and talks about the expectations that you are bringing in to your marriage. Right, each one of us has been shaped by a whole host of factors. Right, we've been shaped by our family of origin, we've been shaped by the cultural context that we grew up in, we've been shaped by big uh, life-defining events in our lives, uh, and that impacts how we view, for example, money. Right, because nobody ever argues over money in a marriage. That's one of the areas that that we have people work through, and uh, to. Answer some questions about how do you view money? What are your expectations regarding money as you come in to join your life with this other person? And inevitably, there are some differences that people have in their view of money that they're bringing into their their marriages. And the goal of doing this is not to to be able to match people's expectations and say, oh, good, you guys have the exact same perspective on money. This marriage is going to work. Like, that's not the intent behind it. Now, if there were vast differences, that might raise a red flag that we would want to talk through a little bit. But the primary purpose of of doing this exercise when we're working with couples is so that, one, there can be honesty, right? There can be just a true confession of "This this is how I view this. This is what I'm coming into this relationship with as I view money and resources. But the secondary one is just as important, which is how am I... Knowing what I know about you, my future spouse, what does that mean for me as I seek to voluntarily yield to you in love? What does it mean for me? What's, what's my task in submitting to you out of reverence for Christ in the area of money in our relationship? I can tell you that for Summer and I, um, that had to do with how I viewed musical gear and how she viewed clothes. <laughs> so... Uh, that was, that was an area, as we went into our marriage, where I, if you, at, if you were to look at my budget on what I spent on clothes, I'm not even sure I had a line item there in my budget for that. Uh, there wasn't, wasn't much there. But I never met uh, another piece of music gear that I didn't think I could use in some constructive way. Summer was the opposite with, with clothes. And, and I think we, early on, struggled with that as we merged our bank accounts and merged our finances, like those different priorities, right? Now, one way to approach that would be simply, and and some people do this, and there's nothing wrong with this, I don't think, but to like separate some accounts, right, or separate certain amounts of money where it's like, I don't don't have that priority, but if you want to spend some money on that, great. I think as I've witnessed 11 years of marriage and God's spirit working on both of us, I've seen ways in which slowly we have begun to yield to the other, and and say, you know what, I, I don't need that other guitar. I do. I don't need that other guitar. Um, and if you want to, you know, if, if 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 you need to go spend that on clothes, that's fine. And for some to say, I, I'm not used to shopping at Value Village, but I'm going to choose to shop there. And I love that my wife shops at Value Village now. That's been like, one of the greatest. So. We Both of us, I think, have sought, not perfectly, and certainly we have so much more to grow in this, but that's one way that I've witnessed over time growth that, that has shown me, yeah, I think, I think that's us learning how to voluntarily yield to each other, to submit to each other out of love. Uh, I think another one, I, I know I've mentioned this example before, is the way that we view our schedules. Uh, I, Summer, <laughs> she was an engineer. Uh, she was a project manager in the Air Force. She has a schedule. I was a musician who never really worked full-time for a lot of years. And I was like, schedule? What? I, I really valued having a lot of open space. She really valued having things to look forward to. And I know that I've talked to a number of you in your marriages that we are not the only ones that, <laughs> that have approached our schedules with a different, uh, a different goal. My goal is seeing empty space. Her goal is seeing something to look forward to. That's a way, too, over 11 years of marriage now that um, we, we've not arrived by any stretch. But I just, I've reflected on that as a, one way where we've sought to grow in our voluntarily yielding to each other in love, submitting to each other, where I can say, I want, I want my wife to know that she's loved, so I'm going to try to schedule and plan something and put it on the calendar so that she has something to look forward to. And she has been able to appreciate grow, more and more uh, carving out time where there's there's not anything planned, where we have some space, which is very much, uh, I appreciate that. I think the final one, and this is this is true, I know, for any of us here with, with kids, is um, the simple offer to take the kids so that the other person can go and do what they need to do. Um, that... That has been a great gift that we have given each other, that and others of you have given us as well. I don't know if Reba's here. Reba came and watched our kids. She's teaching, of course she is, right? <laughs> there's the there's the example, voluntarily yielding in love. Uh, she came and took our kids for a couple hours yesterday, so Summer and I could catch up and actually talk face to face, which was a great gift. Uh, anyways, those are some examples that I've been thinking and mulling about in, in my own marriage. And I anticipate, and, and I'm guessing that for those of you that are married, uh, there are ways uh, in specific ways that you've, you, you've been thinking in, uh, about how either you could be more uh, submitting and voluntarily yielding in love uh, or, or ways that you have seen God do that work over time. I mean, who can live up to this though, right? Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Giving himself up for her. This is a high calling. And what's fascinating here is that Paul... He kind of ends up tripping over himself as he gets further into describing this vision of a marriage that is in Christ. And he starts talking about Christ in the church. And by the end of the passage, you're actually not sure which he was really talking about, which is kind of the point, I think. (laughs) That in all of this, the primary calling is not to be, it's not even to be uh, submitting to one another. The primary calling is to be submitting to Christ. And the more we do that, the more natural it will become for us to do that with each other. And so he gets he gets talking about husbands and wives and then he's like, but the mystery here, the real beauty is the way that Christ has done this for the church. The way that Christ has given up everything for us. And so it's entirely appropriate that we come to communion this morning. And I hope that this, Feast reminds us of Christ's profound love for the church. That Christ who created all things, who is Lord over everything, who is in the ultimate position of power and authority, yields voluntarily for our sake out of love for us, gives up his life so that we might be restored to God and restored to each other. So as you come to partake of this feast this morning, this bread and this cup, stand in awe of what Christ has done for you and pray and ask that in his grace and in his mercy he would give you the strength and the desire even to do this with each other, husbands and wives together, but all of us together as the church, mutually submitting to each other, willfully yielding out of love to each other. Let's pray as we prepare to come to the table. Lord, what a high calling you have given your church. What a high calling you have given husbands and wives. That in our imperfect marriages, somehow we even reflect your love for the church, your love for the world. Lord, we need your grace. We need your grace in our marriages. We need your grace in our church, in our friendships. Forgive us for our selfishness, for our self-centeredness. And draw us back to you. Lord, build your life in each one of us here. That we would be surprised when it becomes more and more natural for us to yield, to submit. Free us from any baggage that we have with that word or this passage. That images of People misusing power would be replaced with the image of you as our Lord and Savior, becoming like a servant, being obedient even to death on a cross. That as you were raised up from the dead and raised up to heaven, so you've brought us with you, that we are seated with you in the heavenly realms, as Paul says in this book. What an image. Remind us of that, remind us of our identity and give us the strength to live the life you're calling us to.